0: This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast is powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. I'm Lee Llewellyn. Today we're going to be talking about Opportunity Zones for Small Communities. Many small communities fear that they're going to be left out of the Opportunity Zone program and aren't really sure how to get in the game. We've turned to two staff members from Thomas P. Miller & Associates to better understand how Opportunity Zones can benefit small communities.
1: Mike Higby with Thomas P. Miller and Associates. I'm the Vice President for Economic Development and Community Resiliency at TPMA. I'm Jack Woods, also with Thomas P. Miller and Associates. I work with Mike
2: on the Economic Development and Community Resiliency team.
0: So today we're going to be talking about not just Opportunity Zones, but we're really going to be focusing on the question of Opportunity Zones mm-hmm. for smaller communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's been a lot of interest, but at the same time uh, a very similar level of just confusion about Opportunity Zones. Uh, Is it something that smaller communities um, should be gearing up for? Uh, Is it something that's really appropriate? I think there's been a lot of misinformation, and so hopefully uh, today we're going to take some of the mystery, some of the confusion out and talk about those opportunities so Jack maybe you can start a little bit with just kind of a non-technical overview of what is the opportunity zone initiative and where did it come from
2: sure Um, so at a high level um, going back to the end of 2017 it was included um, in part of the legislation uh, that became the tax cuts and jobs act Um, and essentially the goal of this legislation or this incentive is to attract investment to distressed census tracts in the United States uh, communities that typically um, have seen business loss not seen new development projects um, and it does that by giving an incentive to uh, investors to
0: invest their capital gains in these census tracts that are called opportunity zones okay and those were all designated by I mean they were designated through the governor yes. um, and so there were I know a number of census tracts mm-hmm. And then that was narrowed down. How many do, did we end up with in Indiana?
2: So, 25 percent of all the distressed census tracts in the United States were eligible to become opportunity zones. That breaks down to about 8,700 in the nation, and there are 156 in the state of Indiana. Okay.
0: Okay. So, uh, so let's let's talk specifically about uh, the opportunity zone itself. There's been a lot of information that's been really directed mm-hmm. to the investors. Mm-hmm but but uh, the questions that we've heard quite often have been about um, uh, what should smaller communities and and I think the reason why it's an issue for smaller communities uh, is because I think uh, a larger community so we saw South Bend was out of the gate very early with with a prospectus for for projects in South Bend and my sense is that a community like South Bend and Evansville they have Uh, professional staff um, they have sort of a bench strength that allows them to mobilize and have people who have that expertise and the small communities just really don't maybe have that uh, depth of expertise so they feel as though they're getting left behind Um, and the first place where they feel as though they're getting left behind is they're not even sure what an opportunity zone project is and what kinds of things that they may have in their opportunity zone that would even be eligible for for participation in this program so what what should those folks be thinking about in terms of potential projects or what would be an opportunity zone kind of project for a small community Mm -hmm. that
1: they should be focusing on Uh, that's a good question and uh, I think you nailed it that I think even the Evansville's and the South Bend's of the world Spent uh, the better part of 2018 trying to figure out how to organize around this. And I think they're still figuring it out. Uh, you know, for us in the economic development uh, world, it's almost counterintuitive. Um, we're used to having projects, but not having any money and looking for resources to fund those projects. In this case, you could have somewhere during the life of this program three to six trillion dollars of capital gains out there so you have a lot of money a lot of capital but do you have the right projects to match up with that money and what's different is this is not a handout by the federal government this is an incentive to investors to invest in certain types of geography so they have to be in they have to see projects that they think are investment grade projects in other words, If I invest my capital gains, I have made a million dollars last year, I have a million dollars of capital gains, and you want me to put it into a distressed census tract, you have to have a project that, when I place my money in that census tract, and in in that project, I firmly believe I'll get that principal amount back, that million dollars, and I will get a return on that, and that return will be tax-free, given the way the incentive is set up so not every project is able to generate that kind of um return so so i think that's i think that's been a critical i think that's been a
0: critical issue and and we need to dig into that because i my sense is that initially a lot of a lot of these small communities thought that this would be that this would be these are like grant dollars right Uh, and so when they were thinking about projects know I think they were thinking about you know well maybe we could you know attract this for a trail project or we could attract you know mm-hmm. f- and so let's dig into that a little bit when you talk about you know sort of that that investment grade opportunity because I think that's where a lot of the confusion has come for for a lot of communities I think they think this is free money for a lot of different kinds of projects within that opportunity zone so how do we dig down a little bit deeper in terms of you know what what would be in those opportunity zones mm-hmm. that would that would
1: attract that would be appropriate for those those investments well it's, again um... i think you're right jack and i spent uh, much of twenty eighteen traveling uh, throughout the state of indiana talking to communities many of them rural and they were waiting to be told what to do and they thought there was money attached to this that was going to be again without many strings other than what the federal government normally asked they were not aware that they would be dealing with private sector individuals and investors and money managers so once they realized that they really were at a loss on what to do Uh, so if you think about the development process and that a developer thinking about investing money in a project what do they do first uh, they do their due diligence. They look at the real estate that they would like to invest in or the business that they would like to invest in. Uh, and they engage in some pre development activity that, in some cases, costs money. There's an investment in that. And they determine after the due diligence and the pre development period whether they have a project or not. And in many ways, the um, OZ process is very much the same thing except it has to happen in the community. The community has a distressed census tract by definition. Now, not all distressed census tracts are created equally. There are some very nice metropolitan census tracts. You wonder how it got that designation. On the other hand, there are some uh, census tracts both in the metropolitan areas and the rural areas that you can see clearly they are distressed and in need of revitalization and reinvestment so getting a project in those instances uh, takes the due diligence and understanding what the market is willing to do and then understanding the pre-development process that is required to get that project to the point that you can then have a meaningful conversation with an investor somebody with gains or a fund that has assembled or aggregated gains And you can tell them, I have a project here that if you invest in, you can expect to get your money back someday after 10 years, in most cases, and you can get a return. And that is not going to happen in every distressed census tract unless there's some spade work that is done by the community first. So that was probably the biggest disconnect. That program came down the pike in no time at all. It was there and nobody explained to the communities the state did a pretty good job the state of indiana did do some some um, circuit writing and went around the state and explain how the program worked but it took a while for people to understand it and uh, to understand like south bend did like evansville did that you start to identify the projects and determine what your role in making those projects is as a community uh... what your role is in making them occur And then you go out and engage the funds, the funders that uh, have the capital gains that are willing to invest. So you said
0: two things, Mm -hmm. though, that I think got—I mean—that I I think got lost on a lot of those um, planners, Mm -hmm. and that was business and real estate. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I—I'm not sure that that those two elements. Mm Uh, always translated early in the discussion about opportunity zones that that's what this was going to be about mm. uh so what are some may, ho- i hope this isn't premature in the conversation but, but what would be an example of the kinds of things that would be appropriate uh that would be the kind of project that you would be packaging maybe for this kind of investment i mean are, are there examples that you can that you have seen already
2: yeah and I think that your examples they're going to be dependent on what the community has already. Um, a lot of the places we've worked in that could be uh, greenfield space that needs to be developed
0: um, so 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 stop right there so so you're talking about greenfield space that needs to be developed so what would be the what would be the project what would be the the investment? for in that kind of space
2: um, well you want it you want it to align with the current land use you don't want to put a factory in the middle of you know an area that already is seeing residential development
0: but so but, you, but, but when you say uh, factory I mean so that's dependent upon though somebody else coming in uh, right. so so when you talk about though developing that uh, would you be developing uh, uh, the infrastructure doing the site development to, to attract uh, uh, an eventual buyer or, I mean, so what's happening in that green space that's attracting that initial investor?
2: Yeah, I think that that's part of it. Um, you need to have some type of asset already in place that's going to be attractive to an investor. I don't wanna pigeonhole it and say, this is the type of development that you have to do um, because the way that this program works, it's pretty broad um, okay. in terms of what you can invest in. So really it comes down to what does the community have? Um, how does that align with their broader economic development goals and plans? Something um, that we think is a best practice is really taking a look at the plans they've done in the past, and then figuring out how they can actually make some of this happen um, if it's in their opportunity zone by leveraging the incentive to maybe attract the the final piece of investment that was that was initially missing or the holdup. Um, so I don't know if that necessarily answers the question specifically, but. Um, it, it's really broad as far as what what the projects we're seeing can be. Um, it's it's it comes down to what makes sense
1: in that particular area. Okay. And to your point, uh, one of the fears with the program is that an investor will come in and say, "I want to put this there, whatever this is," and it may align with what the community is looking for and needs. It may not so by the community kind of taking the bull by the horns if you will and saying here's our opportunity zone here's land that we would like to see developed or buildings we'd like to see renovated or whatever mm-hmm. new and new business that we'd like to bring in jobs we'd like to create by understanding your zone understanding what step one two and three look like as far as development and and Taking control of your destiny as opposed to waiting for an investor to come in and tell you what they're going to do, you can lay that plan in place, make sure it's a marketable development, understand your role as a community in helping make that happen, be it the infrastructure piece or some incentive providing workforce. But you take those steps and then you align yourself with the funds out there, and there are a couple hundred of them already that are amassing dollars and you go talk to that fund that may be a bit more mission-driven or may be a bit more oriented towards residential in the Midwest or more towards business retention expansion. So you find the good partner, if you will, that will understand what it is you think the potential is. They will understand how to analyze that potential and ideally be more than just a one-off investor, Mm -hmm. that they're there for the long-term, not the short-term. Now, that's a lot to expect out of this program. And nobody's quite done it that way, especially in the areas you're talking about. But th- we think that's got to be the goal: transformative, long-term investment that you look up in ten years and say we've made a difference in this opportunity zone census tract. But you definitely have to tee it up as a community if you want to go in a certain direction. Uh, you can't expect the market or these funds to do that work for you. And so I think that's that's another part of the the
0: confusion. Is how do we how do we align how do we align this with with uh, community plans community mm-hmm. goals um, and there's a sense that there's a clock ticking mm-hmm. um, and so again it, I you know I think th- those funds to be able to realize the ten year uh, uh, window. Mm-hmm have to be invested by the end of this year? Is so, that correct?
2: to get the full step up in basis on the front end of the incentive, the investor has to be, uh, put their money in a fund by the end of
0: 2019. Now, uh, wait a minute, they have to put their money in a fund or they have to have the money invested?
2: Uh, they just have to put their money in a fund. Okay,
0: all right, so that so that's a little bit more breathing room mm-hmm. perhaps for some of the communities than, than they were expecting, because I think there's a sense that no we have to have those funds in our project by the end of 2019
2: mm-hmm.
0: so is that not quite the case I mean we have so we have to have that investment in place in our community by the end of this year yeah
2: no that's that's not something that they need to be <laughs> don't,
0: don't shake your head yeah and say no uh, uh, this is the so the,
2: the answer is the answer is they don't have to have the investment in a project at the end of 2019 okay And I want to go a step further with that and say, even if the investor doesn't have their money in a fund by the end of this year, all they're really losing out on is a 5% step up in basis. So what that means is how much they reduce their tax liability um, on the front end by. Um, 5% is nowhere near as much as what they're looking at at the end of the incentive, a complete deferral Mm -hmm. on all future gains. Mm -hmm. That's the major incentive. Um, So we don't think that investors are really going to be too scared off. Uh, from projects that are identified or invested in after this year,
0: but I think that for, for, for the folks th- that we hope are listening mm-hmm. to this, it's that you have time yeah, beyond you, 2019, you so you don't have to feel as though. And I think there's a sense that there's a lot of those communities who feel as though they have to have a project packaged, uh, funded, investors in place by the end of 2019, or a window is closed and they're they're completely out of the game. Mm-hmm. And so the concern is that you have a lot of communities getting ready to do a lot of maybe not well-informed things because mm-hmm. they feel as though they're in a very short window of time in which they, they have to, to get something packaged and ready for investment. So that means that we at least have a little bit more time in thinking about Uh, how we began to to meld some of these projects in with existing economic development goals or existing community goals but it still has to be it still has to be an investment worthy Mm -hmm. project Mm -hmm. I mean this is not and again I think we've covered this but I think there was some some sense early on that these were gonna operate much like grant funds and there was just going to be funding made available for a lot of different kinds of projects so so we're back to again uh, let's continue to think about I mean you were talking about some of the greenfield projects but let's talk about you know what kind of business opportunities might we see in some of these opportunity zones and in some of these communities that that could be appropriate for this what, what would be the advantages and where are the where are some of the stumbling blocks perhaps to getting those businesses um into this program
1: well again it's good across the board so you you look at the the primary categories of development uh you're going to look at residential uh industrial commercial slash retail office and retail so those are the the big categories there is even some thought that infrastructure could come in and and be funded, Um, but somehow it's got to generate a return or some revenue, or the community's going to have to refinance it at the back end uh, in order to take out the investor. Mm But uh, the one thing I think everybody's looking at this is equity coming into a project. This is capital gains in the form of equity, Um, and it has to be very conventional. And that, there's a lot of truth to that statement, but there's also the ability to do what economic development people do, and that is look to innovate and bring in unconventional financing to complement the conventional financing. The other big difference here is we're used to dealing with projects with a lot of debt and a little bit of equity. In this case, we're dealing with projects, because of the capital gains, with a lot of equity and a little bit of debt. So this really is kind of flipping the the page a little bit on how we structure these projects and what they look like and what the role is. But the public-private partnership is still very relevant here. And um, this will be uh, an effort that, you know, one of the advantages, going back to what Jack said, by not feeling like you have to have your project all teed up this year, there will be some lessons learned over the next 18 months that communities will be able to take advantage of. We're convinced, because there are so many zones out there, and this project is only going to work really well in hot markets, that the federal government and some states will look for a role to play in order to prime the pump in some of these other communities. And so we think the states have been a little bit slow to organize around this. Some are starting to do that. The federal government has a White House council that is set up to look at its role in helping make rural zones work better and some of the other zones that are more challenged so there will probably be some tools going into 2020 that we might not have right now. Uh, There are philanthropies that are investing in some of these funds uh, and bringing philanthropy dollars in, that will make it easier to get to a bottom line for the investor because there's philanthropy dollars involved.
0: So that would so they would be some of those would be using to buy down the risk for the investor. That's correct. Okay. All right.
1: That's correct. Okay. So you know the projects will cover the board. We've we've looked at. Um, residential on greenfield sites we've looked at commercial development retail retrofits on on existing buildings Uh, we have one project that they're they have a long term uh, community project the um, the renovation of a theater that has been empty for years and how to bring that back and we've actually talked about how do you perhaps they were going to raise donation dollars How do instead of raising donation dollars on the front end, what if we had somebody with capital gains that might be willing to make a donation, invest that capital gains on the front end, get some of the incentive, and then on the back end, convert some of it into a donation and still get a little bit of a return as well. So there's some creative financing opportunities that might make um, something like the theater renovation happen sooner rather than later because there's a win-win there. Win for the community, win for the investor it's not a straight-up donation I get a little bit in return but I still get the satisfaction of having made a community project happen and maybe donate that money on the back end a little um, so there's there's some interesting uh, twists and turns with this project that or with this kind of investment that we think are possible so if we think about that I mean a- again uh, for for a
0: small community it doesn't maybe have uh, again a, a, a deep bench in terms of you know expertise I mean having lots and lots of staff people on board how, how can they get up to speed uh, to, to because I mean yep. thinking about some of those creative solutions mm-hmm. um, you know that's you know that's not something that necessarily just comes naturally and probably comes more with expertise um and just experience over time than then just because there's an opportunity suddenly those those opportunities those solutions present themselves so i mean what kind of resources are available to help again particularly smaller communities i know i know you folks at tpma have been doing some of these things um, you know i know that there are a variety of some of the law firms who are doing things uh what's the fastest way probably for a small community to feel as though they can get in the game and Mm -hmm. still retain some level of control over the process right
1: it's a really good question and and it's going to vary from community to community it probably starts with the um, elected leadership in the community be it at the county level or the local level plus the Local Economic Development Corporation or the Regional Economic Development Corporation. Many of them have at least gone to one or two workshops on this. They'll have an idea of the general direction uh, a community should consider. And in, in number one, assessing the zone it has. You know, what is the real opportunity in our zone? What does it need? And how do we understand that better? And then number two, how do we activate it? How do we get this zone so over the next 10 years, it does have, ideally, transformative investment. So the, you know, the local economic development organizations are set up to, to do some of this thinking. The regional economic development organizations have a lot of capacity to do that, if, if there's one in, in play. Uh, and then, as, as you've indicated, I know Thomas P. Miller has worked throughout the state of Indiana. We're working in several other states in that assessment and activation realm. Uh, we think that normally takes somewhere between 150 to 180 d- 80 days to do well. Part of that is organizing the local leadership, because at the end of the day, if that capacity isn't there now, it needs to be there when you start to talk to the investors. So you have to build that into the process, have local leadership, starting probably with Alito and the elected officials, but business people as well, that when that funder comes in, that equity funder comes in, he or she has somebody to talk to at the local level that they know they have partners on the ground that they can count on. uh, And that they understand and have a a willingness to get that project to the finish line. So uh, almost in every instance, I don't care whether it's South Bend or it's Bluffton, that need for capacity, is there's going to be a gap. And the community is going to have to organize around it and it may need some help from a Thomas P Miller or one of the law firms or another consulting firm or it may be able to sit down and organize some of that capacity and do it on its own but it, it is every bit of a six-month process and probably an ongoing process uh, beyond that
0: so so then I think that the ultimate question is once we've gone through the process and we we think we we understand our assets we understand the uh, a we have sort of a bankable project for lack of a better word uh it fits in how do we let people know how do we let investors know that we're here we've got something to offer and that it's viable so how how do we get up into that airstream
2: the best practice right now is for each community to create an investment prospectus Um, essentially teeing up the deals that they have identified in their community and making the case um, to the investor about why this makes sense for, from an investment standpoint. Um,
1: and, and along with that, it's, it's, it's many of the prospectuses we've seen to date are kind of selling the community. Mm-hmm. And we think that's fine, but we think the real emphasis ought to be selling the deals. And what an investor, looking at 8,700 zones around the country, is interested in, is there a project in here someplace that I can put my money? Right. And so it's got to be deal flow has a community created a deal flow that number one I can see the first project but ideally I can see a second or a third or a fourth project possibly I can go in and keep very busy investing in that community getting a Mm -hmm. decent return and know that that community's there with me so if we can create deal flow that makes sense to the community and makes sense to the investor through that prospectus we have a win-win and that that's not easy to do, but it is worth the heavy lift if indeed you can kind of figure out how to make that market work for that smaller community or that larger community. Uh, and then we think most communities, and we think this is the authors of the legislation, were really expecting this, that they want to see the disadvantaged in that community benefit from this. So if there are disadvantaged households, disconnected workers, um, somehow you build that into the formula so at the end of 10 years, you've made a real dent in that problem. It's not just about a real estate transaction, it's about transformative investment. And we think the more transformative it is, the likelihood that you're gonna broaden the partnership base too, that you'll have some outside partners come in and work with not only the investor but the community to make something that might be a bit more difficult happen, because it is transformative. So we've been participating with the the Opportunity
0: Investment Consortium. Um, the the LISC has been uh, leading, uh, and and there is the the portal that is intended to be sort of that place where we can put the prospectus mm-hmm. uh, as well as the investors. Um, but but again I think the question is how do we get to the point where there is a viable prospectus and should we expect should we expect that an investor from from New York or California is going to is going to find a project in rural Indiana uh, and and invest in that or should we be trying to develop perhaps sort of our own uh, investor uh, pools here um, I mean, are we better off to focus on trying to do something that's homegrown or do we think that there's really going to be a, a national uh, review and looking for opportunities from outside the state I mean what do you what's your what's your best guess on what we're going to see on that
1: I think it's yes and yes All right. um, so number one if there is money out there already collected wanting to go into residential in the Midwest and you have a project that works You should go find that fund, engage with it, and try to get that money invested in your community. Ideally, and almost every community, Jack, we've worked in uh, has had a desire to set up a local fund. And there are normally two or three or four or more investors that, once they hear about the program, have an interest in learning more. And I think in at least half of our communities, there will be local funds set up those local funds can attract the external funding as well. You have a local partner if you have a local fund.
0: Okay.
1: So an external fund might look at that community so they have a local fund, they know mm-hmm. what they're doing. Uh it could be a developer running that or a, a banker running it, a financial advisor running it. They have somebody they now can trust. So that builds on the credibility of the community and how it's organized uh, and makes uh, those outside funders uh, a bit more comfortable in going into what they see as foreign territory so when
0: you're looking at those funds especially if they're external um, are those funds going to be do we think they will be formed around specific investment objectives yes
2: so we're seeing a variety of different we're seeing a variety of funds out there interested in different investment objectives and those can be as specific as affordable housing development in the Midwest or industrial development in Appalachia. Um, It really spans the board as far as what funds are looking to invest in and then so it's taking the projects that you identify in your community and kind of doing the outreach to these funds
0: and matching them up there. So I guess there would be an opportunity then as a, as a community, and it's hard to talk about opportunity zones and not overuse the word opportunity anywhere along the way. Uh, uh, I guess there would be opportunities then as you are looking at your projects that you would be able to start mm-hmm. through some mechanism to identify at least potential funds that might look like yes. they are targeting the kind of investment that you're creating in your community. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly right. So as we w- start to wrap up, Uh, what have we missed in terms of messages that we need to be getting to to smaller communities about uh, opportunity zones about opportunity funds uh, about how this can and should fit in with with longer-term strategic strategic community opportunities
1: yeah I I think a couple of things one is it, it is really remarkable how simple this program is and how uh, it lacks regulation which is a good thing in this instance it is not heavily regulated so an investor that wants to invest in a project does not have a lot of um, hoops to jump through at the federal level in order to say okay I'm I want to invest and I'm going to put my money here Uh, setting up a fund is easy Um, so in that regard uh, the feds ha- could not have made it easier uh, for these monies to go into these and, zones. And
0: how often in your career, Mike, have you been able to say that?
1: I'm not sure it's ever been the case. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of remarkable. And that, you know, for an old dog like me, that, that's a pretty remarkable statement. On the other hand, they've, again, they've kind of flipped the script on us a little bit uh, for all of us that have been trained a certain way and we now have to really do a lot of front end lifting to get investment grade projects and if we're not willing to put that work in and that effort in at the local level then we should not expect to see much return Uh, but most of these communities have some part of the market that is willing or there's a need to respond to and if you can start there and then build off of that building block and keep going over the next 10 years, this project could have significant impact. Not easy on that side of the the equation, but doable. And certainly Indiana, the state, uh, the, the Ritos and the Litos have some of that capacity to really kind of be those pushing that agenda and looking up in two or three years and having quite a few projects that are ready to get funded. I appreciate your time today. We've been uh,
0: talking with uh, Mike Higby, Jack Woods from uh, Thomas P Miller and Associates about opportunity zones, particularly for smaller communities. Gentlemen, thanks for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. It's pl- pleasure. This has been IEDA in your ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast was powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. Learn more about IMPA by visiting their website at impa.com and be sure to follow them on social media to stay in the know. This podcast is copyrighted 2019 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to the content.